0: Welcome to Revolve, where we explore big questions from all angles. Each season, we use one big question to dive into a topic with experts, showing how perspective matters and building thoughtful solutions. I'm Tripp Williams. Season 1. What makes an economy strong and vibrant? Using Seattle as a case study, this season we talk with different people involved in economic development to learn how economies are built. This episode features Andrew Lewis, a Seattle City Council member representing District 7. The Seattle City Council is a nine-person body that sets policy for the City of Seattle. As Seattle's guiding legislative body and working alongside the mayor, council work covers all topics touching Seattle and its citizens, including economic development. In this episode, Andrew and I explore why a strong middle class is key to economic health why climate change needs to be considered in any economic development effort, and why the COVID-19 pandemic makes efforts to reduce the population of those experiencing homelessness more important than ever.
1: Thanks for joining. We're excited to have Andrew Lewis, a sitting city council member of the city of Seattle. Andrew, welcome.
2: Hey, good to be here, Trip.
1: So uh, we're excited to run a number of questions by you today, Andrew, to talk about economic development. The first thing I'd like to start with, Economic development as a concept and a topic it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. I'd love to hear from you, from where you sit and in, in your experience, what economic development means to you.
2: Right. Well, you know, in the context of a, of a city, a major metropolitan city um, like Seattle, uh, you know, I, I think that economic development is really critical because. Uh, like any municipal government, you know we draw strength um, from our tax base, and the um, the source of a tax base is if you can have a diversified, um, robust uh, and uh, broad ranging um, local economy that draws from a lot of different sectors. And I think Seattle's a really good example because we have the you know we have a um, obviously, most famously uh, internationally, a very robust and um, strong technology sector here, represented by Microsoft, represented by um, Amazon as, as sort of homegrown technology giants. Um, we also have a growing footprint of uh, like Silicon Valley-based tech uh, giants that are coming up here and establishing themselves, like um, you know Google, uh, Facebook um, have big presence uh, have a big presence in the city of Seattle. Uh, we also have a really strong. Maritime industrial sector—that uh, is the real cornerstone of the Seattle economy, even to this day. I mean, just billions of dollars in economic activity is linked to um, uh, the, uh, like, the Alaska fishing fleet that is based at Fisherman's Terminal, um, cargo traffic that comes in through Pacific Trade, and and as the center of the world has sort of shifted um, from kind of the post-war Europeans, European. Specific uh, sort of orientation of the world to now the more um, uh, the pivot um, to Asia, uh, both militarily, economically, um, and politically. Uh, Seattle has definitely benefited from that because it is, it's diversified Um, our economy to also include, um, you know, to include trade, um, to include um, uh, just, you know, being a more important uh, city as a Pacific port city. Uh, since that is where um, the growing um, uh, center of global commerce and activity is, so uh, you know, making sure that as city officials, you are constantly planning to attract, retain, and develop um, economic uh, hubs uh, in a variety of different industries um, to provide uh, maximum long-term opportunity and and diversified, uh, um, you know, a diversified tax base. Uh, and then also pursuing things you know I, I, I want to add you know the um, there's always all this conversation in the economy about um, you know uh, companies creating jobs and like you know the like the big job creating companies and um, that school of thought uh, you know it does not take into account that you know before you even get to the point where a company is in a position to um, you know quote unquote you know, provide jobs or create jobs or be a mm-hmm. job creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it is reflective of the fact that you have a strong uh, middle class and consumer class that can provide the demand to patronize those uh, those businesses. To um, you know, I mean, like here in here in Seattle, right? You know, people people don't get you don't get a prime account for free uh, like yeah. in the context of Amazon, right? You sure. have to have money. You have to pay. Um, you know, for that account. And it's really the middle class, the consumer class, that is creating the jobs. You know, Amazon um, is successful and able to create jobs because um, of the American um, consumer class and middle class. And any economy that wants to grow and expand uh, needs to account for strengthening, protecting, and expanding their middle class first, foremost, and always as the most essential investment uh, to maintain long-term growth. So. Sure. And cities have a role in that, right? I mean, like $15 minimum wage in Seattle, um, you know, was was a very um, pro-business measure because it gave more um, disposable income and more earning power to folks who could, in turn, um, turn around, take the additional money they're earning through a through a higher wage floor. Spend that money on things and then drive more demand for more growth uh, and greater economic expansion. So, you know, any proposal that puts money in the hands of working and middle class people is a pro growth plan um, mm-hmm. that uh, helps over the long term um, develop, expand, and build up an economy.
1: Well, I want to get back to some of the things that, um, and you alluded to some of those policy mechanisms that you might be able to activate as a local government official. I'd love to get back to that. The first thing I want to ask before we move on is in, in your experience, again, the projects that you've seen go particularly well, or on the other side, those that have, have not gone well, what are, are there common characteristics
2: in economic development projects that succeed or fail? Um, you know, I mean it, it is important to make sure that uh, you know, in my experience, I don't have a, a lot of direct experience um, uh, um, personally, like in um, economic development projects. But from just what I've seen as a city council member, mm-hmm. uh, when you're the government, right? I mean, you got to be very cognizant of what your role is in the economy because you know the government is not in a position where um, you know we should per se be picking winners and losers. Like the market will pick winners and losers. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is we can be in a position to um, set up our people to take advantage um, of a booming economy in a more equitable way and set up our uh, economy to um, uh, set, set up the people in our economy to have the resources to drive that um, demand. Sure. So j- just to, to put it in, like I think any policy that is focused on the development of human equity um and the development um, uh, of you know enhancing uh, the material um, security and well-being of working people um, is going pay is going to be very administrable and pay dividends um, over time. So mm. I, you know I, I brought up earlier, um, you know fifteen dollars minimum wage. You know, simple concept. you raise the wage floor. Um, you know it, it, that goes into the marketplace, the marketplace responds. Um, to to those new um, regulations and you, you have a stronger consumer class uh, and then that results in um, in more growth over the long term that's a, I think a good example of of an an administrable program that is kind of set up to work uh, and set up to um, to pay off whereas you know if you have a project for example let's say um, uh, you know, like a like some kind of um, you know, like a tax a tax break. I think is a good example, mm-hmm. right? Like there could be an argument that's made, and like you know, people that are advocates of um, of uh, trickle down economic strategies will say, well, you know, you do a tax break, um, that company is going to take that tax break. They're going to invest that tax break into expanding, right, to provide sure. more goods, more services, and then ultimately more jobs so that the benefit of that tax break will trickle down and result in that company um, you know, creating more growth. Well, you know, there, there hasn't been a lot of compelling evidence that unless that tax break is, is a transaction rather than a gift, that you're going to get that kind of a result. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we would have had you know, better luck taking that money and, and putting it into things that are going to help strengthen consumers and get consumers to spend their money. Because in a lot of cases, you know, like a company, might, they might do a stock buyback. Um, they might just um, you know share that money with their shareholders via a dividend. And mm-hmm. you know not not everybody owns stocks and certainly doesn't own them to the level where you know they're making a um a, a massive income off of those dividends. Whereas if you took that money and and you put it into, let's say, um, rent subsidy, right? Like Seattle and a lot of other markets are um, places where affordable housing is uh, you know housing is extremely expensive. And, you know, you want to be in a position where, um, you know, work, people can live um, closer to work, uh, you know, they can aspire to um, having uh, more security in their hu- in where they live and not be rent burdened. Mm-hmm. Um, so that because every everything that they're putting into rent, that's money that they're not going out in the economy, spending on other things and driving demand. So you want to make sure that uh, you have policies in place to, to look at how, Government can be an actor to reduce um, some of the cost of living that kind of falls under our regulatory and police powers as a city. Housing is one of those things for a city. Mm. Um, So, you know, if I had to make a choice, right, as as an elected official between, you know, a tax break for a company to try to spur economic growth or take the same amount of money, because we, you know, we got to remember tax cuts cost money regardless of how some people... Mm -hmm. Characterize them., um, and if we're going to make a decision you know about where to send that money to spur economic growth, like I would much rather take that money, put it into some kind of rent subsidy so that um, you know renters who are working are in a position where you know we you know their rent gets reduced, and they can in turn turn around, take that money, and spend that money um, in the economy to drive drive growth, drive demand, and um, you know and increase jobs. Uh, that is, um, uh, that's a better use of that money.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, capital flows, as I'm hearing you describe it, is really what what makes an economy tick, right? It's um, it's much more helpful to have that capital flowing through than kept in accounts and. Um, just expanding balance sheets.
2: yeah, just to, one more thing because I want to get to more questions. But I, I think that 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 comment about capital flow is is really prescient too right now, because you know just for for the record of this as as a sort of historic document, um this podcast, you know mm-hmm. we're having this conversation in the middle of um, you know a, a public health crisis that is evolving into um, the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. and it it really has been a symbol of how, um, and you know my my personal bank account can attest to this because I've been inside. I've been socially distancing. You know I, I've I've never had uh, like more money handy in in uh, in like my bank account because I am not out. Um, you know I, I mean and and you know we're doing this over the phone, not in person. But if you right. can see, um, yeah, you know, I got very long hair right now. I haven't been getting <laughs> haircuts. Uh, you know I haven't been. Um, uh, you know, I haven't been going out to to bars for happy hour. I haven't been eating out in um, restaurants. And yeah. the uh, result of that is all of that consumption that was in the economy before, mm-hmm. um, under uh, under normal circumstances, all of that um, uh, all of that money is just is sitting in people's bank accounts. And uh, you know, we have so many businesses that are marginal. And that like depend that, you know, they can't just shut down for, right. um, uh, you know, they can't just kind of say, OK, well, we'll ride this out for, um, you know, for like half a year, you know, eight months, however long this is going to end up going. And uh, it really just shows how critical that um, uh, that capital flow, as we've been discussing it, is mm-hmm. to um, to maintaining growth. And and that we're going to have a lot of firms, a lot of small businesses, and and a lot of companies that, despite our best efforts, um, you know, I, they're not going to survive the um, this like this crunch and not being able to get money in the door, barring um, some bigger efforts to mm-hmm. uh, to have some kind of stimulus that can stand in for all of that money that's just sitting in all of our bank accounts that ordinarily would be circulating in the economy. So yeah, um, it's a it's a tough uh, it's a tough situation out there, and and I think it. You know, this has been. You know, economists will study this um, this moment and draw some conclusions about, um, you know, j- like how much damage gets caused just from shutting an economy off um, for a while. So, right, yeah, yeah, and
1: I and I think on top of uh, one last uh, comment, there is it's not just the volume of outflows that might come on a even regular cadence, let's say a quarterly basis. It's the economy really requires the regular daily flow, right, of of even smaller numbers of transactions, and even smaller, um, the actual amount in each transaction might be smaller, but it's that constant required trickle that, uh, and not to confuse a trickle on economics, but it's the constant flow of capital, not necessarily a volume of capital that's dispensed on a specific cadence, right? It's actually,
2: yeah.
1: It's happening. Yeah, well, it's it is. Really Makes the economy thrive.
2: Well, and that's a really good point. And you know, the only thing I would add to that too is, you know, we had a debate recently. Um, that you know, there was there was some news about it. Um, that was a, you know, because I think that what you're speaking to too is it's really um, made us see from the standpoint of a city, um, the uh, the effect of like pipeline issues um, mm. in interrupting some of those cadences. Because you know, a big function of government, we have a lot of things that we. Um, you know, for for a lot of reasons for the health and safety of the public, there are certain regulations, right? And mm-hmm. one of those for land use is um, is design review.
1: Mm-hmm. Like you
2: want to put up a new building, you know, you have to engage, uh, you know, with the city, with your neighbors. You go through a design review process um, as a developer. Um, and those those are done through in-person neighborhood meetings. Well, you know, we had this discussion as a council because th- those groups could not meet, you um, uh, in person anymore, um, it was difficult to do those meetings remotely because of the technical nature of design review.
1: Sure.
2: So we, you know, temporarily had to transfer that over um, to an administrative process to avoid the bottlenecks. And, you know, we did that as a we voted on that as a city council um, to avoid the economic ramifications of of disrupting that flow because you mm-hmm. you know these design review boards, some of them here, maybe thirty projects every month, um, and if all of a sudden you know they can't hear any of those pro like any of those projects, and they just you know. But those projects keep coming. So when whenever sure. they did, whenever they did come back to do those design review processes, you know, be it in you know two months, three months, four months, however long it's going to take, um, you know, they would have come back and and just been overwhelmed, and the backlog would have been massive. And then the effect on the economy you know, too, in terms of the multiplier of those projects, is if you're building a building, right? You're you're getting cement, you're getting steel, you're hiring. Um, laborers and like those backlogs in design review, you can see just the tumble that goes back in how it, it has massive disruption, um, all the way through those, um, uh, those supply chains and those different processes that are dependent, um, on, uh, you know, people getting their design review done, getting their master use permit and, and building their building. So this has been, this whole thing has been a really interesting, um, uh, uh, you know, I mean, interesting would be the right word if, if the if the effects were, were not so human and so sure, um, sure. terrifying um, in in just how uh, you know that other element of government that we have certain regulatory practices that uh, you know, that are that are necessary for um, certain segments of the economy to to continue to move and that when those get put on hold, the broader economic impacts that those have um, that you know it's another uh, interesting comment on growth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and that's actually a great segue. You, you're you really helpfully outlining how local government, one of the primary things you're able to do is clear the way, right, for private enterprise and others to act in the economy. Um, and so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about, and you also mentioned earlier, some of the different um, regulatory areas and specialties that you as a local government official focus on. But tell us a little bit more about uh, you know, what you see local government doing especially well, in particular in relation to other levels of government, and, um, you know, and some of the things that, that you see as nearest at hand and most helpful to keep economies thriving.
2: Right. I mean, I think that, the, first, the most important thing um, is that, uh, to kind of jump off my previous comments about the design review, there are certain um, competencies that that are the exclusive purview of local governments,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and it's it's actually it's quite a bit of what we deal with in our daily lives. Um, and you know it depends on where you are, but for the most part in the United States, you know your like our local governments actually look um, you know pretty similar in terms of the different competencies they take on. You know depending on where you live, um, you know it, it might be a city, it might be a or it might be a county, right? Like you know, so a major metropolitan city like Seattle. You know, we we do um, tons of the direct services to to the people of Seattle, mm-hmm. um, and like King County does um, does some, but does less. Whereas if you're you know if you're in a rural community, like your county is probably going to do um, going to do most of the services, just because you know the reduced density and um, and the city probably uh, probably less so, mm. but. It, like, so I just just putting out that uh, context. Sure. but but the typical things that kind of fall in, I'll say as is, is like county city sort of functions, you know land use, which you already talked about, and and you know, um, uh, the the uh, um the economy of of real estate, of building, um of construction uh, is is a massive, massive segment of the growth in the United States over the last twenty years. And in a city like Seattle, it has definitely juiced our um, our massive um, the massive boom that we've seen. Like the, the mm. budget of the city of Seattle, um, you know, soared from you know something like uh, something like four billion to six and a half billion over the course of a decade, which which mm. is huge um, growth um, in the budget. Uh, the um, you know something that that is going to lead to difficult conversations. Um, uh, now um, mm-hmm. going into this downturn because you know our budget is going to take a massive hit after um, spending so much time growing and, mm-hmm. and probably have painful conversations about cuts um, but uh, land use uh, is, a, is a huge segment of you know if, if cities have more permissive land use practices you know can build faster can build quicker um, you know that has a massive multiplier effect on growth right mm-hmm. um, so that's that's an essential competency of local government that has huge economic implications. Um, typically, all, also, local government, um, you know, be it a, a city or a county, is going to provide a lot of the services um, that people on a daily basis really rely on. I mean, like 90 like percent of the government um, that people uh, encounter um, is something that their city or their county does. I mean, like you run into the police. The police is, is, um, is always going to be a city or a county function. Mm-hmm. You know, um, fire department. Um, buses, right like mm-hmm. um, uh, you know public transportation generally subways, buses, uh, you know things that uh, we interact with on a daily basis those are all uh, you know the maintenance of public right-ways the, the streets, the sidewalks that we walk on, all local government um, all um, um, all have a massive uh, massive implications for economic growth because uh, uh, you know cities that have um, robust and well-maintained infrastructure are going to be far more competitive mm-hmm. uh, to attract um, uh, uh, people that want that does you people that want to live and work in that place and you know it, the more attractive you are the the um, uh, the uh, the more tax base um, you can attract uh, to your um, to your municipality mm-hmm. so I think that uh, that that's a really um, you know sort of growth can beget growth if you put it back into things like that. Uh, and then also, uh, depending on where you are, I mean, it's not the case in the city of Seattle, but I would say education, right is is huge. If you um, are making the right um, inter uh, uh, interconnected investments in education in your city to link um, your economic development and workforce development initiatives, right mm-hmm. with your education initiatives, uh, you um, can be become extremely competitive um, as a uh, um, as a city or municipality um, because you can you can create um, these pipelines of making sure that uh, you know the economic needs of the different clusters um, that have been developed. I mean, in in our case, in in Seattle, that would you know that would basically be like tech, maritime, industrial economy. Um, you know, one, one thing I continue to be really interested in is because we do not run the school district, it's a separate government, um, but we definitely do collaborate with them on a regular basis. You know, how can we be more effective and better collaborators with the school district so we are hooking up, you know, our, um, our initiatives to develop um, our workforce along with, um, you know, what we are prioritizing and how we are educating um, the young people of the city so that when people, you know, are, are coming out of their primary education or when, and, and, you know, one thing I think that is going to have really great long-term growth prospects for our city is, um, you know, we uh, recently under Mayor Durkin, um, you know, adopted a universal, um, uh, uh, u- universal um, community, college. community college. And sure. I think yeah. that that is going to have a really big impact in the long term because, we are um, going to be in a position to um, uh, provide that extra level of um, that extra level of specialized uh, education that could be, um, you know, like a certificate. It could be an associate's degree um, that will just be part of our our social contract here in the city of Seattle, mm-hmm. where we we you know building on our previous success, where we know you know like that uh, you know early learning. Um, mm. is the best place, is the best place to put those investments even more than you know than community college. But uh, you know we already did that under um, uh, you know under previous uh, mayoral administrations made that really big investment in um, in um, pre-k subsidies. So developing if you can develop an education system as a municipality um, that that says our social contract is going to be, um, you uh, you know you the city will provide you an education. That is going to be a um, you know a 16 year education in terms of you know two years of two years of pre K and then two years of college in addition mm. to the 12 years of primary education that 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 makes you immensely competitive globally especially if on the back end those two years um, of college are directly hooked up to some opportunities that are in your local economy um, that uh, I think is something I really want to do a deeper dive in and I think it's something that um, uh, that could really, uh, in the long term, pay massive dividends for um, the human equity of our city and and uh, the future of Seattle.
1: Sure. And are there places that you, as as you look to maybe municipalities or counties that are doing this effectively? Are there are there examples? And I guess this is a really good example of connecting education to um, to job prospects. Are taking that example, or if there's another. You know, innovative economic development, um, regime in some city across the country. Is there anything you've, you've been drawn to and are, are seeing as really compelling and really interested in?
2: Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. Um, you know, there's lots of interesting, um, innovative things that, uh, uh, you know, that that come up if you read, um, you know, I mean, there's like all these, like Governing Magazine is an example. There's all these kind of niche, um, like periodicals and publications that kind of talk about interesting stuff that's going on. Um, you know, there there is um, the big thing that comes to mind, I mean, going internationally uh, um, for a second, uh, you know, the the fact that and we haven't even discussed climate change yet and, and kind of the implications of you know, needing to address climate change to maintain um, you know future economic viability, given the the catastrophic impact that climate change, unaddressed, is going to have on all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's like, um, you know, it's been described by a friend of mine recently, who's who's very involved in um, uh, climate policy, as like imagine we're in a nuclear war, but it's slow. Mm. Right. And and like you know, having the impacts of you know like a nuclear war that would that you know would happen, you know, really suddenly, right within twenty minutes, you know, completely irreversible destruction. But you know, similar impact over the course of you know, you know, some people are saying as short as ten years. And you know, I think we should take those warnings super seriously. You know, to get getting the similar and completely irreversible impacts. When you you know, when you think about the sense of urgency in those terms. Um, Copenhagen, great example of a um, of a city uh, that has been making really great strides towards becoming carbon neutral, and really realizing that cities have a big role um, uh, in climate. And I think that in the United States, we have a tendency to think of the climate fight as sort of a you know a problem that rural people have, mm. right? Like you know coal burning economies, coal dependent states. Um, uh, you know, um, less dense communities that, you know, they're more dependent on driving than public transportation. And like, definitely, you know, completely stipulate to the fact that that's part of it. But we got to recognize that, you know, cities have a role in terms of, um, you know, we, uh, we have some of the biggest buildings and big buildings require a lot of heat. And, you know, if our insulation is inefficient and the, and the heat source is coming from some of those rural um, uh, energy markets, uh, you know, we are burning those rural fossil fuels that we, you know, that we look down our noses at uh, so mm-hmm. much to power our big buildings, and the result of that, yeah, uh, you know, that is having a a massive climate impact. Um, that we have a role as a city to address, and you know, it is an urban problem. Um, uh, Copenhagen has been doing a great job in um, serving as an example, uh, as a jurisdiction that is really taking it on as a city and showing that. You know, if if more jurisdictions, because it's true, you know, Copenhagen just doing it on its own, that's not going to get us there on global climate change. But if other municipalities around the world, you know, study what Copenhagen is doing and emulate it and you get, you know, you you get, you know, 50, 100, you know, 300 um, municipalities that are uh, modeling that same thing, that is going to start to make an impact and move the needle. Mm -hmm. So looking at things like that and and figuring out how we can... um, uh, you know, do things that have global impacts as city as cities, I think is important. Uh, you know, I think also, you know, uh, another initiative I'm working on right now, um, you know, I, I'm chairing a, uh, you know, a committee, um, for the city council on, um, performance auditing to come up with some recommendations and suggestions, um, on, um, how to enhance, protect, and expand our ability to do performance audits and do, um, uh, make sure that we are, we are implementing, you know, performance auditing, we don't need to go into a a rabbit hole on this, but, you know, it's a performance auditing is about measuring, um, uh, you know, efficacy, like is a project effective rather than, um, or a service effective rather than is a service, um, efficient. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, through that process, been looking at lots of cities and, you know, and there's a lot of variety in how cities do their internal auditing and audit, you know, performance auditing is something that all municipalities to a certain degree do. It's been really interesting to go through that process, look at some of these other jurisdictions and like just see the, the wide variety and different practices and how, you know, some cities like our, you know, our neighbor to the south, Portland, um, Oregon. And I think Portland is a good model in a lot of these things, be it, um, you know, how to have sustainable, dense, and, um, uh, uh, and attractive land use and
0: mm-hmm. environmental
2: policies um, how to, um, uh, how to, um, and then also how to do performance auditing, like, uh, Portland, um, you know, basically every, uh, every like five years or so, like every department's been looked at and, and they've had substantive feedback and recommendations that enhance the delivery and performance of their services. So, Um, You know, I think Portland has has been a really interesting jurisdiction in terms of like livability, sustainability, um, and delivery of essential services, and um, uh, and yeah, I mean, I I think it's really important that uh, you know we always be talking as cities and um, looking at ways that we can come together to uh to learn from each other. And and you know, and there's things that there's definitely things Seattle is doing um around uh Yeah, I was gonna say climate um, change especially. Yeah. Seattle has a pledge, I think,
1: by twenty fifty, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well I mean, you you know, we've set a goal. We still have a lot to do to to set up some things to get there. And I've I've definitely got some ideas um that we can talk about later. I don't think they're ready for this podcast. But um the, uh, uh, but I'll give you the scoop on it when, uh, hmm. when we're, when we're ready. This podcast the first the first place we announce it. But, Perfect. um, I was going to say that, uh, you know, around, um, uh, you know, the law enforcement assisted diversion program is something that was pioneered mm-hmm. here as like a creative new way, um, to divert, uh, low level, um, drug offenders into, into treatment, counseling, wraparound services as an alternative to the traditional criminal justice response. It's something that's been emulated, um, all over the world and, Um, there, there's been, you know, lots of very favorable press, you know, in Mm -hmm. in the New York times and other, so there's things that we do really well too, um, in Seattle. And, um, you know, I always look forward to having those conversations with people to, to have that exchange of, of, you know, like, here's what we, um, here's what we really do well. What do you really do well? And how can we learn from each other? I think is, is, is absolutely a, um, a critical, uh, uh, way um, for us to do business as local governments, especially as it comes to figuring out new strategies for growth and economic development.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I want to move to our next question. Um, yeah. But for the audience, interestingly, Park City, Utah, uh, I think has a near term goal of reaching carbon zero levels by, I think, within this decade. So that's a topic I, I'm hoping to come back to on the podcast. And I'll will put a, I'll put that off to the side for now. But I thought it worth mentioning. And um, for people to check out, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. So our next question, Andrew, and and I, I really want to. I'd love to spend multiple hours um, talking about the work you're involved in and your projects that you're leading. Because of your schedule and mine, we're, I'm going to try to compress that into a few minutes here. Sure. Sure. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, we're recording this in the midst of COVID-19. There is tremendous economic upheaval. Um, across many sectors of the economy and many different parts of the population. One of those populations that's particularly vulnerable and is affected significantly is the homelessness population or or those experiencing homelessness, right? And I I know you spent a a significant amount of time and lead an effort um, to address that challenge. I'd love for you to both share with us a little bit about that project and, and your work there and also how you see... That population, the homelessness population, um, you know, especially affected during economically and otherwise during the downturn.
2: Yeah, I, so that's a really, really good question, and that's been a big focus of my committee. I chair the Select Committee on, on Homelessness Strategies and Investments, and um, you know, we going into this crisis, the thing that is the most sobering and the thing I'm I'm not looking forward to. Is you know we had a debilitating um, and actually still active state of emergency. We've been in a state of emergency on homelessness in Seattle um, for um, uh, you know for over five for almost six years I think five mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, you know it's it's been um, extremely debilitating uh, to and it's been it's been extremely sad to um, walk around the city and see. That we just have a profound number of our neighbors living in, in absolute um, unacceptable squalor
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, for a society that is as wealthy and as um, uh, and as innovative as Seattle is, uh, and you know that was all existing pre-COVID. Now we're going to be in a position where we're going to have a massive um, revenue shortfall, mm-hmm. and we're going to have to have a conversation as a city about you know how do we keep essential services going. Um, that, you know, that we were taking for granted before this crisis, let alone, um, how do we do the additional things that we need to do to get um, our homeless neighbors inside? So uh, you know, I, I would just say this, uh, you know, I think that an, a, you know, an economic, um, uh, any economic growth strategy has to be focused on, on human equity writ large. It, mm-hmm. it is not good for your economy to have a massive number of folks that are experiencing homelessness um, in your city. I mean, it just, doesn't put a good foot forward. Um, there are also things you can do to reduce inequality and to reduce cost of living, um, that can, um, crack down on, uh, the number of people who are experiencing homelessness through economic necessity. And, you know, I want to be clear, you know, in King County, we, we have a, a little over 11,000 individuals that are experiencing homelessness. Um, uh, many of those folks, uh, you know, part, part one of the contributing factors to being home, to being homeless is um, that they have a um, uh, uh, they have a public health um, challenge,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: be it um, uh, you know a, um, behavioral mental health uh, that uh, diagnosis that is untreated um, or um, uh, substance dependency or both, um, and you know those folks are, are you know are going to require a more service intensive response. Um, you know, permanent supportive housing, wraparound services—something where where we can get them inside, um, and they can live live with dignity. But you know, they're not um, they're not going to be part of like a workforce development program, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have uh, you know the folks that are that are homeless um, for economic reasons, uh, who are you know who are car camping, um, who are um, maybe living um, in encampments and working in minimum wage jobs. Um, you know, these are folks that are working. They are making money, and they are making an economic decision to, at least for now, um, uh, live uh, um, live homeless because they don't have the resources um, to be able to save, to be able to get ahead by also paying exuberant rents. Mm-hmm. So. The, you know, our role in that is going forward, I want to do a couple of things. First, we, we got to scale up permanent supportive housing. We got to make it easier to build. We've got to get people who are, um, you know, chronically homeless because of a a, um, a health condition. We got to get them inside off the streets um, with wraparound services so they can live with dignity and they're not um, exposed and, and living in squalor. Mm-hmm. That's, um, you know, the, Number one, we need to do that. Second thing we need to do is we need to have big um, city initiatives to invest in rent subsidy so that those folks that are working, like the the working poor in the city of Seattle, can get some kind of assistance and relief and subsidy so that they can rent and live in an apartment in the city in dignity um, and continue to to work, save, get ahead, and meet their other obligations without being rent burdened. And as I alluded to earlier, that is also a pro-growth strategy because it frees up some of their income um, to, to go spend on things that will help drive growth. Mm-hmm. So um, I think those are the things that we really need to be focused on. We need to dig deep and we need to find a way to provide the resources to do that um, in the uh, in the COVID emergency, despite all of our other pressures. We, we cannot lose sight of the fact um, that we had a homelessness crisis before. That homelessness crisis is going to get Worse now. It's not going to get better during COVID. We will have more people that were in service sector jobs. I mean, there were the. Um, uh, I think the Fed, uh, the federal government, uh, might have been the Fed um, or uh, some other um, body. Of the federal government said the other day that um, 40% of low-wage workers lost their jobs so far during the COVID crisis. And mm-hmm. you know, a number of those folks are going to go back to work um, when uh, when the crisis is. Uh, has abated and like the, the economies are opening up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a lot of those folks have received some level of unemployment benefit. Um, but it it is still setting them back no matter what. And, mm-hmm. and any relief that we are giving is not going to um, ultimately be enough. And it, it is not unreasonable to expect that of that 40%, a lot of those folks are going to become economically homeless or transitionally homeless.
0: Mm-hmm. And they are
2: going to be they're going to be on top of the over, the massive um, population of people experiencing homelessness we already had so mm. we need to be in a position where um, uh, we are making progress on getting people inside um, and and meeting their needs um, as part of our as part of the recovery we can't um, hold off on it and use the um, crisis as an excuse for inaction on it
1: sure. That's great. And, and I just want for the audience, if if they want to track your efforts on this topic and others, can you just share with them the best places to find you? And I can include this detail in the notes as well, but I just want them to hear it from you.
2: Yeah, super easy. Uh, Seattle.gov slash council slash Lewis. That's my website. You can sign up um, there for um, uh, for email updates. You know, I, I send out on a fairly regular basis, typically at least twice monthly. Um, kind of updates on what my office is up to. People can um, uh, follow me on uh, on Twitter. You know, I'm Lewis for Seattle uh, at Lewis for Seattle on Twitter. People can email me directly at um at seattle.gov. Always happy to to talk about these topics we discussed today and and any others. You know, especially um, uh, for Seattle residents. And uh, uh, you know, just look forward to continuing to have these conversations with you, um, Trip, and others because. Uh, you know having these conversations about how we how we grow the economy how we do it equitably how we do it in a way that um, uh, that everybody is benefiting from these are going to be really they were critical um, conversations during the last recession and recovery um, if anything they're more prescient now and need to learn from um, the mistakes that were made then and uh, you know that could be a, a subject of a whole additional podcast episode <laughs> so um, anyway uh, yeah, really good I- to I have, I have one
1: more for you, if you don't mind, if oh, are sure, going to be a, sure. a quick one. But uh, and I've offered this to every guest on this season. Um, I, I have a hint of what your answer might be, knowing knowing what position you hold now. But let's imagine we're going to have an abstract thought experiment here. Let's imagine we're in a, in a scenario where you are leading the effort to build um, a new uh, extension of a civilization. Let's say we're on the moon and you're tasked with helping craft a vibrant economy. If we think about the different actors involved in that effort, if we think about government actors, private sector actors, nonprofit actors, which of those hats would you like to put on first, and, and what would be one of the first things you would do?
2: Um, wait, can, can you maybe rephrase the question? You're asking me which role I personally would want to fill? or yeah, or... yeah. If,
1: if you could step into, if, if, if knowing knowing what we know about the different components of an economy, Which of those, um, you know, which seat at the table would you like to be holding first, or which would you like to, which lever would you like to pull first? um, Well, I mean, the the
2: only the only one I feel qualified to to kind of answer and and say that I would is is you know um, obviously you know I mean whatever whatever government authority we're setting up and um, you know I think government occupies a really unique role um, you know in the economy and that uh, you know it's the it's the operator of you know of the commons, right? It's mm-hmm. everything that we um, that we decide. You know, these are these are um, essential. There should not be a profit motive in in these things that everybody needs. Um, these are the things that we are going to um, turn over, uh, you know, to you know, in, in the case of of the United States, to to a elected um, mm-hmm. group of our of fellow citizens um, for for fixed terms, and they will administer the commons and. Um, uh, and we will, you know, as citizens, hold them accountable and and review their work. Uh, I I guess that there would, in in the scenario that you're um, sort of laying out, there would probably be a process where, uh, you know, we we might um, have a process where we're evaluating the extent of of what our new social contract is going to be. Right. Mm. I mean, like we're in a position right now where you know on on some things, you know, we have we have a mixed economy. I mean, mm. like healthcare, right? Great example. Um, you know a lot of countries have decided healthcare uh, you know healthcare is a utility that kind of fits in the same way as um, you know, as police fire, uh, other things that we would historically put into um, uh, the commons that that would be under um, you know sure. or, under the sure. government. Um, so I guess that you know that would probably be the first step is we'd have to we'd have to make some decisions and say, hey, look, uh, you know we um, uh, we are going to um, have a conversation here as, as our moon colony and we are going to, and, you know, and we're going to, we're going to decide, you know, I mean, what, what is going to be in the, what is going to be in the commons, what isn't, you know, and what's going to be in the free market and, um, and how, uh, how do you want to do that in the first steps of structuring an economy? Because I do think it is an essential conversation because, you know, you want to make sure that, um, uh, you know, you want to make sure that everyone's on the same page of, you know, what is going to be in the purview of government and what isn't. And, um, uh, and then, and then go forward accordingly. So wonderful. Well, that's, um, that's, a, that's a
1: fantastic end to a very rich conversation. I really appreciate your time, Andrew. And, uh, and thanks for
0: joining. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Tripp. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for listening. Check the show notes for links and information mentioned in the episode. And explore the other episodes in this season to learn more on this topic. Look, I've listened to them all. I'm obviously a little bit biased, but I really do think each offers a valuable perspective you'll appreciate. Before we go, subscribe to our show to get new episodes as soon as they come online. And please rate us on whatever podcast app you use. That helps other people discover the show as well. We'd be excited to hear from you. Send us a mail at revolvepodcast at gmail.com.